You are listening to Beyond Sets and Reps, where we provide the performance edge. I'm your host, Pat Ivey. And I'm your co-host, Mackenzie. And thanks for tuning in to another episode. Culture of accountability is when a lot of your athletes are doing what they're supposed to be doing, when they're supposed to be doing, how they're supposed to be doing it. Competence. Do your athletes know what they're supposed to be doing so that they can do what they're supposed to be doing? Are they committed? Will they see it from the start to the finish? Will they complete the task? Are they consistent? Jen Wiederstrom is an industry leader, television star, and your daily get fit motivator. Primarily known for her big hearted and undefeated success training on NBC's The Biggest Loser. She is the consulting fitness director of Shape Magazine, the best-selling author of Diet Right for Your Personality Type, and founder of Weeder Strong. Implementing a holistic approach to health and wellness from the inside out, her methodology stands upon honoring the individual and through applying her self-experienced tools of success. People thrive and small victories are transformed into huge accomplishments. Work ethic, authenticity, and sincere devotion to the living and service of others enables her to be considered an irreplaceable extension of family to those she trains. Branded a top fitness expert by the entertainment community, she is a featured guest on Dr. Oz, Live with Kelly and Ryan, The Talk, Today's Show, Extra, E, and Larry King Now. Further, she is an expert contributor to Oxygen, The Greatest, Muscle and Fitness, Muscle and Fitness Hers, and Health, to name a few. Welcome to our show, Jen Wiedestrom. Woo! Can we get an applause button? That reading was beautiful. <laughs> Nailed it. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, it's pretty exciting to read all of those accomplishments. I'm thinking, I know her. <laughs> you know, it's funny, though, you, you say that, and I'm so flattered by it. As you read, I thought, oh, my gosh, I have done a lot. And right before we pushed record, I was like, don't, don't read it. Don't read it. I, I'm, it's too, it's fine. And you're like, no, I'm going to read it. And I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful that you did because I'm reminded of how much I have done. And I think sometimes we overlook what we've built. Um, so that was awesome. You kind of gave me chills, Dr. Pat. Well, thank you very much. You, you know, Jen, I think the first time we met was last year at, uh, the Sora next summer strong. And I was wondering, I know her, I've seen her before. And then as you were introduced there, I went, yes, that is, that's where I know her. I know her from TV. You're a television star. <laughs> Which show did you watch? The Biggest Loser, of course. Oh, you did watch it on Loser. Well, a lot of people started yes. back with my Gladiator days. I'm telling you, some people are like diehard Phoenix fans. That's excellent. That's excellent. Um, we're happy to have you here on our show. Um, I know we want to cover a lot in a little bit of time. Um, I'd like to start off by just first giving you some time to just tell us about yourself. 
Okay. I mean, do you want to start like when I was growing up in Chicago? Do you want me to back it up a little bit? Like, what do you think? Well, you know, I know you were a college athlete. Okay. Maybe you can start somewhere around there and how that led to where you are now. Perfect. Yeah. So, um, you know, as Pat just said, I, I started, um, yeah, I did sports growing up a lot as a kid. Both my parents were coaches. So to me, going to college, I, I, didn't, I couldn't even imagine going without doing a sport and actually went to the University of Kansas and walked on the rowing team. I had been doing gymnastics at that point for like 12 years and wanted a new sport. And a few of the Big 12 teams had their rowing. And uh, I promptly found out how terrible I was at it. <laughs> it's like a really uh, difficult sport. It's technical, which I liked, but it's the kind of athlete it takes, not only mentally, but the just the sheer, uh, the distance that's covered um, in, the, in those boats. And I'm definitely like a 30-second athlete. <laughs> So the the fun story is I was in the weight room at that time all the student athletes shared a weight room and the rowing coach and the throwing coach were friends. And so the throws coach Doug Reynolds said, "Oh my gosh, she's look at she's she's so strong, she's got a great central nervous system. She must be really good." And the rowing coach was, "Oh no, she's actually kind of bad. And if you want to take her off my hands, I wouldn't fight you kind of a thing. So Doug Reynolds, the throws coach approaches me, asks me to do hammer throw. He goes, I think you could be great at it. I think you've got the body type, this, the, the, everything it takes to do it. So fast forward to, you know, being a scholarship athlete, captain of the team did, you know, went from um, walking on to being second at big 12s, going to nationals, placing top 20. So I had a really successful career in that. And then it was funny because even after I got out of college, I had all this experience with sport and camaraderie and what that did to uh, me as a human. But I don't think I really learned about health and fitness and redirected my career that direction till I was out of college. And I realized the way movement and taking care of myself really affected the person. Um, you know, what, the, the, what happens in our bodies weight loss, weight gain, muscle gain, strength gain, you know, or the opposite of, you know, it's a side effect of the other work that we're doing. And uh, in a lot of ways, I think I just used myself as my own guinea pig kind of accidentally. Uh, and, you know, through doing American Gladiators where I was only working out for my appearance, but mentally I was in, in one of the darkest places I've been in my life. I go, well, how does that make sense? So I started getting curious. I go, well, if I look amazing, but I feel like shit, well, that, that can't work. And then I went to the opposite way where I kind of really let myself go because I thought that was the answer and I still felt bad. So I, I felt like shit and I looked like shit. <laughs> so then I'm like, we got to figure out a better formula. And I think that's really what started me on the path that I am, have stayed on, which is using movement as this vehicle for deeper conversations. Um, and those conversations have led me to being, you know, an expert for certain publications, but also on The Biggest Loser, um, and, and now, you know, an author. And I think that ultimately, what really, uh, what really is going on now in our industry is a reframing. We have all of these. Um, we have amazing trainers. We have amazing resources. We have amazing strength and conditioning coaches. And then we've got, you know, a, a plethora of resources on Instagram now. We're all kind of coordinating and collaborating on there. But I almost think and now there's so much, everyone's getting lost in the mix. The messaging is getting diluted and 
And in a lot of ways, I think a lot of trainers forget that this is a service industry. And I think a lot of people in different platforms are um, not taking the time that I think this field requires. You know, I take my job very seriously because people trust us and we become responsible for their well-being within that trust. So, uh, you know, as someone that just thought walking on a rowing team would be something fun to do, it's definitely led me down a path where I realized uh, movement is medicine and 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 a high level way in, in mental medicine, which um, is kind of where I like to live. So that's my that's my quick little cliff notes of Jen. <laughs> oh, I like it. I like it. So can you speak on, you know, you were talking a little bit about how your movement is medicine and, and you kind of, you found it out for yourself about training to look great, but mentally not great and then flip-flopped. Did you... Yeah have really like an aha moment or was it just kind of through time or training other people? Cause I know the coaching aspect, like you were talking about the one-on-one -on -one and really being impactful. I know that is a, something that you pride yourself on. So was it kind of, how did, how did you get to movement is medicine, I guess? That's a good question. Yeah. I think that, you know, as I can stand now and look back at 10 years of work in the industry, I see that all the all the things we're going through on a physical level, especially the kind of people I work with that have a direct A to B goal, it's usually weight loss and strength gain. Um, there's a mental health issue going on, and I'm not saying we're schizophrenic or you know there's something like that, but there's something that's there's that's lasting, that's holding us back. That if I can break through that and if I can work into that resistance, I can see success in the other areas of their life, which frankly is what sustains not only the behavior I've molded, but the results we've attained. Now there's two ways I started to identify it. Once was probably just in the, my first few years of training people, I was very results oriented. I liked seeing their weight drop. I liked seeing, you know, some of the circumference on their waist go down, the muscles on their biceps go up. You know, it was really exciting to see that, but the bigger change was not physical in in that nature it was the way they walked into a room it was the eye contact they began to make it was the uh way they would speak up in conversation it's the way that someone that whose eyes never left the ground would stop be like jen put on you know justin bieber like yelling across the room in my class i was like oh my god wow there you are <laughs> you know and that to me seeing the transformation of not the body but the soul that 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 permission of for them to be themselves because they just felt better in their skin was really, really validating that there was something more going on, even though I didn't couldn't really tell what it was at the time. Uh, like I thought I had a great playlist, you know, it, it was, it was, it was almost kind of under the radar. But the other thing I really, I really identified in myself, and this might sound silly, but it's the truth. I um remember kind of going through my own up and down. Uh, and, and, and I will tell anybody listening that transformation does not mean change. I'm not asking you to change. It's a revealing of what's been there all along. And you're simply starting to kind of come back to life and, and drop the, drop the exterior and the shell that you felt like you needed. And as you, as you go through that process, um, I started to realize I had more to work on than I wanted to admit to myself. And what finally turned the, the key for me and what, what I think most people need in order to make real change in their lives is to identify something in themselves that I need to figure this out. Like I made it a personal, I made a personal decision that I cannot stay here. And the flip of my switch was, um, 
I I know like so my parents are married 45 years still. They're 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 a great example. And I know being in a relationship is a very important um decision for me. It's an important uh milestone. And I knew that if uh, in the almost eight billion people on the planet, if I ever do find that man that is that great fit for me, that if I didn't sort what was going on with me mentally, that I was gonna destroy that relationship. And that just woke me up because I thought if I go down this rabbit hole and I'm not taking care of myself, I will destroy this relationship. And what I mean by that is um, when you start to get lose confidence, you start to kind of self-criticize and penalize, you know, I start to be unhappy with how I feel, how I look. Uh, if I'm in the relationship, I don't want to be sexual. I am blaming. I am short-tempered. I am not kind. And I think that often uh, you'll see people not, you know, being graceful with the people that love them the most and are in their lives in the, in the, in the, in the biggest way. And I just thought any man would walk away from that and should walk away from that. So if I'm a woman that wants to be in a happy, healthy relationship, Jen has to be happy, healthy. And that's what motivated my kind of light bulb change to really do the work and figure out what was going on for me. This podcast is sponsored by Soranex Exercise Equipment. Since 1980, Soranex has been a family-owned business responsible for legendary innovations and training solutions that have changed the face of strength training. Today, Soranex is the most sought-after strength brand for professional teams, colleges, high schools, and military units. During this process of growth, our clients have become an extended family to us, part of our brotherhood, our culture. We want to thank you, our customers, friends, and family for being the foundation on which Soranex is built. We promise to do our best to continue to serve you with the best strength training equipment and service in the industry. Jen, that's that's awesome. Thank you for, for sharing that. Uh, you know, um, I had a high school teammate. Uh, shout out to Cast Tech High School in Detroit, Michigan. I had a high school classmate, um, and she sent me a message and wanted me to uh, address on the podcast um, questions about women and training and athletics and, and strength and conditioning. You know, what can you say? Because uh, you talked a little bit about the the mental and the emotional aspect. How how does all of that you know work? And what what message can you give to uh, young girls and women out there? Mm. You know, to me, my answer seems quite simple, and I don't mean to make it uh, as a matter of fact, but I just didn't see any difference in me versus any kind of guy or man. I remember vividly. Um, as a kid, I'd be seven or eight years old. My dad had a, like an old school weight set in the basement. Like, you know, you Pat, you know, the, remember the benches that were like those, like C, the letter C's, like those small iron, like, like it was a little lip and you somehow had to put the bar on that little <laughs> spot like yeah. that's, and it was really narrow. So your hands would grip outside. Like that's the kind of stuff my father had and all across his walls, he had pictures of like Lee Haney and, uh, of course, Arnold and Franco Colombo and all, all, but as, as many, you know, male posters there were, they were women and strong women. And I just remember seeing 
they're all strong. And I, I remember vividly as well being like, Arnold has a weird last name and I have a weird last name, you know, and he, I, you know, he talks funny and I talked really funny too. I had a speech issue. So I had speech class for like eight years, six years. And, and I just saw myself in Arnold. And even though my dad had strong female role model pictures all over the wall, I identified with Arnold at eight years old. And I didn't know his name was Arnold until my dad told me, he's like, I'm like, oh, that's Conan. He's like, well, kind of, you know? And so what I would tell you is I was taught to not see a difference in me versus a man or, or even in skin color. My parents taught us to see people and they taught us to see what we needed to do for ourselves and to go get it. So I would like lift weights in the basement with my dad. Like they were like fives and sevens, you know, and stuff like that. But I did it. And even in, in, in high school, there was no summer lifting programming for any of the women's teams. And it wasn't meant to discriminate. It just wasn't, you know, football seasons in the fall, you got to look at their swimming and diving. That's not really a heavy lifting sport, but I wanted to train in the summers. So I, I went to the football coach's office, Mr. McHugh, and I, I said, can I, can I come in the summertime and lift? He's like, of course you can. You know, I think what most women don't realize is you just have to ask. No one's preventing you from doing it, but you do have to ask and you have to go in and take it seriously. I didn't go in there and flaunt and talk and screw around. I went in there, I hit my steps and reps and I, I got out. And I, I even at Pat, you were there at Summer Strong last year when we were all deadlifting. There was a group of women lifting on the side and not on the platform. I go, what are we doing over here? They're like, well, we can't. I don't know if there's really room. I go, of course, you just have right. to ask. And we all picked up the loaded bar. We walked in and I looked at, I think Brandon Lilly was there. And I go, oh, can we just alternate? He's like, yeah, great. And then we had a guy lift and whatever bar we had got, we had guys on our bar. It didn't matter. So I, I know I'm kind of getting long winded, but I think the reality is, is I don't see a difference in me versus a man. Of course, there's physiological differences. Of course, there's difference in biology, but you know, and, and body parts. I get, but like to me, my mentality is the same. I like to lift weights. I'll go lift weights. I want to be in a space. I'm going to ask to be a part of it. Just like Pat, if you, if I was lifting with a bunch of women in a gym and you wanted to work in, and there was one squat rack, you would just say, "Hey, Jen, can I jump in?" And we would say, "Of course." You know, like it, it wouldn't even cross our mind. So I think that the, I think that most of the stigma, and I'm not saying it's a blanket statement, I'm not in everyone's community or gym, but you just, just speak up for what you want and then go for it and ask to be a part of it. Cause I will tell you, I've never been told no, not once. Jen, I would never ask to work in with you. I've seen you lift before. <laughs> I would wait till you left the gym. Oh, please. I've heard the le I've heard the legends of you working out like your work slacks and repping out 400 cold. I was like, shoot. Just, I know. just wait until he tears his work slacks, though. <laughs> oh, but that, but you know what? What a badge of honor. I, I have pants. I have one pair of pants that I tore out. I save them. They're from college. You save that. That's like pride. <laughs> It's a big deal. It's like taking down the basketball net after a championship. Oh, 100%. <laughs> That's my basketball net. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Squattober got me last year. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jen, I love that you are just, I mean, from such an early age, age eight, that you had really such a great atmosphere between, you know, your dad and the posters and, and you know, the football weight room and all of that. What do you say to people who may not have that level 
of confidence, especially, you know, in this case, particularly to Pat's question is, you know, young girls, or it could be anybody that's, you know, intimidated by the guy that's over there grunting in the corner of 24 hour fitness. And they're like, you know, that's just, that's not my thing. What do you say to those people to kind of get them to take that first leap? Well, two things. One, that guy grunting in the corner of 24 hour fitness didn't start (laughs) there, right? He all started just like everybody else started as a first timer. Nobody comes out of the womb having all the knowledge. Somebody held my hand and helped me get started. Pat, I guarantee you, you've got stories of the people that showed you and that somebody showed that guy. So I think people would be really shocked to know that, especially in the strength community, we all want to help. Just ask. If you're not sure, ask for help. If he's grunting, got headphones. Yeah, I'd wait till he's off of the the equipment and he's not during a set. But we all were assisted at some point in our lives. And so I think paying it forward is a natural part of who we are. Um, But the other thing I will tell you is a tactical takeaway. I think when people get this switched up and, you know, you said, how do I get, how does someone get the confidence to do those things? I I think that it's, there's an assumption that you just have confidence in life or you don't like you're like, but it's, and it's more than a skill than you can learn. I think it's something you earn by doing the reps. So life is a reps game. And what I mean by that is when you are going to try something, whether it's something in the gym or asking somebody out, or for me, I remember the first time I was doing biggest loser and I was terrified, had no idea what to do. I had to have the courage just like every other person in those scenarios, the courage to, to start, to try something. So courage is number one. I just need you to put some like Annie up on the table and play a hand. Start there. And then in that, in that see, you know, my first day of filming, I was like scared out of my mind. Second day, I felt a little better. Third day, compared to third week, compared to third month, I was a pro. And the difference in my confidence changed because I did the reps and the reps create competency, which awards me confidence. And I think people skip that step. Courage to step up. You got to start, but then take those reps, take them and know that it's not going to be perfect. I messed up a lot. No one's going to get it perfect. But the reality is you learn a lot about yourself. You learn a lot about the thing that you love and you're trying. And that's what gives you that opportunity to be better at it and the confidence in it. And by the way, when that new person at 24 hour fitness comes up to you, you know exactly what they're feeling and you know exactly how to guide them because you have uniquely walked that journey too. And that's all it is. You just got to keep showing up though and taking the reps. Jen, how do you, with all of the things that you've accomplished, um, being a celebrity yourself, and yet you seem so grounded my interactions with you and the way I see you interact with other people, what is it about you that allows you to keep that balance between uh, being humble and at the same time, you know, having that courage to step out and do things and, and, and be out front? How do you do it? I have to kind of tip my hat to my parents on this one. You know, my folks, Norman Lynn, they, they, never told us what to do and how to be. They led by example. My mom's like, if you want to see good in the world, you be a good person. And there are these pillars of just your word and loyalty, trust, follow through, work hard. You know, these are, these are who my parents are. 
And because I saw in them, that's who I became. And they didn't, again, it's not like they told me, they showed me. My parents have been growing the vegetables in the same garden plot for over, God, 40 years. And as a kid, you know, I had to, you know, at, I have pictures of me two years old pulling weeds at the garden plot. You know, if we wanted to eat, we grew the vegetables. We had to go and walk. And I have an older sister and a younger brother. We had to go and like fill the buckets. And we were so mad. We had to fill the, and you had to walk through the dirt and you had to bring them to like fill up them up again, you know, and you had to pull the weeds. And we were taught work ethic. We were taught what it is to finish what you've started. And it was just a part of me. And frankly, you know, anybody can show you the ropes. I was really lucky to have such great connected parents that sacrificed a lot for me, but it was my job to see the reward for that. And frankly, the reward is not external. The reward is I know who I am. I know what I'm capable of, and I don't need the approval of anyone anymore. I used to feel like I needed it from fame, like how many followers, how many likes. And I think that living in LA for 10 years started to wear on me and I didn't even know it. To be honest, Pat, I didn't even know it. And it wasn't until about a year and a half ago, I came to Denver and I was finally almost forced because, to slow down enough because the pace is slower here. The people are slower. And I, I don't think I realized how far off center I'd come from the Jenny that left Chicago 10 years previously. And I had gone more external for approval, not just from fans, but from from work, from praise, from people, from a man I was dating, all of that started to build up. And I, I got more and more sad because I kind of had lost and forgotten who I was. And being in Denver and really using some of the slower time to connect with my family, have these conversations, I was able to kind of recalibrate. Uh, because the thing is, is I will tell you as well, you know, when you look at this industry, use the word famous, I always kind of smirk a little because I, I don't, I'll probably never see myself as famous. I probably just have met a lot of people and the ripple effect of the world is real. Um, so they happen to know me, but there's a, uh, for all intents and purposes, I, I made it, you know, I've done multiple network shows very successfully. Um, and yet you would think that's like pinnacle, like that's, you've made it. That's the biggest fitness show there is, biggest loser. And yet at 36, I feel like I'm still at the very beginning of a journey. And I think that's the misconception. So when you look at famous, I think that people stop too early. They think they're there and they settle for what's been given versus kind of letting the golden egg go away, you know, that golden and, and, and say, well, if you take away the fame, if you take away the money, if you take away the attention, am I okay with what's left? And that's, I think where people need to stay. And I, that's to me, the balance I, I choose for myself because at the moment I allow the other to consume my head and my heart is when I think people really get stuck and get isolated and they're missing the point of what we're here for. Jen, that's awesome. Um, you know, you talked about your values. You talked about your upbringing. You talked about the way your parents taught you. Uh, you talked about courage and competency and, and confidence. All of those things are, are what we should all be striving for and, and trying to teach others, uh, especially uh, those of us that coach, that coach athletes, uh, teaching them that these things are choices, that, that you can choose to have courage and 
choose to be competent and choosing to be confident. So we want to just thank you for for um, being with us. If you have any other final words, um, please share. Uh, and we would like to know, our listeners definitely would like to know where they can find you. Okay. Yeah. I think the only thing I, I'd kind of dig in, because I know you do have a big following for as far as coaches and strength is concerned. Um, I, I think the reality, it, whether you're, what other field you're in, whether it is strength and conditioning or something else, you know, putting people first and is, is something that's a phrase that's kind of thrown around. But what I have seen uh, is that in a time where we have, I mean, we have so much digital connection. I can see my cousins in New York. We're able to record this podcast right now, but we're feeling more disconnected than ever. And I think that when you've got that FaceTime with those kids um, or those people, and I'll never forget it. I'll never forget the investment people have made in me. I am, I am who I am because someone took the not the time to see me and to hear me. And, um, and I felt important. And the only way we feel important is when we feel like we belong. Um, I felt like I belonged in, um, to my, to that community in the weight room. I felt like I belonged to my team and I felt proud to, 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 to work for my coach, Doug Reynolds. And I think that's a culture that if you can show those, those, whoever you're working with, that feeling of belonging, that they offer something, well, then, then they can take that. And that's the greatest life skill you can offer. Because I got to tell you, I feel like I won the lottery when I think about my experience in college sports. It's really hard to explain. Like both of my siblings, neither of them did a, did a, a sport outside of high school. And I'll, I'll never be able to put into words the feeling it was, that family, that that, that, that it's almost an intangible idea in, in experience, but I'm able to replicate that. And I think part of the reason I'm so successful when I was just private training or on television or whatever, is I know how to recreate that because I want to provide that feeling for that person that I was gifted through all of my mentors over the course of my life. And I, you know, it's something I, I, I can't remember if I've talked to you about it previously, Pat, but I call it ancestral mentorship. So think of this idea that, you know, we all have lineage, a bloodline that my grandfather's from Sweden, right? And that's through my dad and through me. But I think about, well, who were, and my dad, yes, is a mentor in my life, but who are my dad's mentors? You know, who was my mother's mentor? My mother's mentors was her ballet teacher and drastically changed my mother's life. So that woman who I have never met and I have no lineage to on a bloodline is part of my mentorship lineage. And this idea that you can take what you feel and what you've learned and be able to pass that on. And maybe my mom's dance teacher only affected, you know, 100 students in her life. Well, then my mom has affected tens of thousands of people as an educator and a coach in herself. And through those two relationships, I've, I've affected how many millions? And that's what I think is exciting. It doesn't just live here, like be here, but know what passes your legacy passes well beyond you. I literally, it's funny, I interviewed my, my seventh grade science teacher, Mr. Reschke, this summer. And I'll never forget him because I sat in the back. I was a C student. I was nervous. But I remember he taught me how to, how to do a proper handshake. And by the end of the class, I had confidence. I had a 97 in, my, in his class. But because he invested in me and the way he changed me 
I'm able to change others because of that investment. So, you know, what I'm, I'm just getting to is spend the time, invest in the people, don't wash over it. Look, look for those idiosyncrasies in all of us. Pay attention to those little things about a person that stand out. Let them know that you see them. And not only will they work their tail off for you, uh, and the results will be just incredible, and it, the, the magnetism of your team will just, you know, go to the moon. Um, but they'll never forget it, and you'll change the course of their life forever. And I think that's the uh, that's the mark of any good teacher. So um, that's my that's my piece on that. But um, yeah, if you guys want to find me, I'm trying to think. Just all my social media is just Jen Wiederstrom. It's just that's it on Instagram or Facebook, Twitter, whatever. Uh, I do have a website, Wiederstrom.com. Lots going on. Whatever I have, you'll find it there and. Um, always reach out if you guys need everything. I'm a resource as always. And maybe one day I'll get Pat to work out in the tin gym with me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for yes. your time and, and being a part of our kind of our lineage that we're hoping to create here and, and give to the masses. You bet, girl. Take care, Jim. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Dr. Pat. See you guys. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond Sets and Reps, where we provide the performance edge. This podcast has been brought to you by our sponsor, Soranex Exercise Equipment. To make sure you don't miss an episode, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or your preferred podcast provider. You can find show notes and more at beyondsetsandreps.com. That's B-E-Y-O-N-D-S-E-T-S-A-N-D-R-E-P-S dot com.